You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, the PuttCast. Putt is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the PuttCast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Monique Whitney. I am the executive director of PUTT. I am thrilled to have you all join us today. And I'd like to welcome our panelists, PUTT President Scott Newman. Scott. Hello. Jeremy Counts, or as we call him around here, Lord Dr. Jeremy. Jeremy, welcome. Hey, good to see you guys. Glad you're here. And then we have a, a very special guest today. Uh, some of you already know this gentleman, the doctor of comedy. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Maurice Shaw. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's, it's great to be on this podcast. I know a lot of times I share your guys' Twitter posts because I like them a lot. And so now to be on the podcast, it just brings everything full circle. Um, that, that's a good springboard for uh, first question that I would like to get your opinion on. Um, a lot of times, uh, our, our organization, and we refer to ourselves a lot of times as putt bulls. And the reason why we do that is because we tend to be a little bit edgy, a little bit um, less politically uh, correct and call a, a spade a spade. And, and uh, you know, a lot of times we get pushed back from other organizations, individuals that aren't really comfortable, you know, saying what needs to be said or sometimes going over the top a little bit. <laughs> we can use that term, but I was, I was going to say, do you see us being a little bit more edgy as an organization than um, the traditional organizations or, and, and what is your opinion on that? Uh, definitely. I can, I can tell you this story personally. <clears throat> when I first, um, well, first I'll, I'll back up. I, I myself have been trying to educate myself more on PBM, especially working retail, because you don't really see the billing side. And uh, with the Pharmacy Podcast Network, I think you guys have been on some on the PBM reform. Um, I think it has like 17 podcasts, but I know you guys have been on there and I've been trying to slowly listen to them and take notes so I can educate myself. And I was like, man, this is just so... <laughs> complicated you know it shouldn't be this hard to try to understand pbms you know and so to me i was like i think you know when you ask pharmacists what are the biggest issues uh facing the profession you're gonna get like four or five different answers some are gonna say understaffing some are gonna say pbm some are gonna say pharmacy schools and whatever but to me i've always said you know we need pbm reform because that to me directly leads to a lot of the understaffing especially like Walgreens or, or whatever, because they're, they're, you know, getting abused with the reimbursement. So first, if we fix the PBM part, then we get rid of one of the excuses for why they understaff, which is the terrible reimbursement. So I was like, what could I do to raise money to help with the PBM reform? So I actually reached out to different organizations because I didn't know where to give the money. And 
they start listening different places and the common denominator I got that like, well, there's putt, but a lot of people like what they do, but not how they do it. So <laughs> it's kind of funny that you said that. And I was like, well, that's what people tell me about my channel. So I'm going to make shirts to help support putt because I kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's how yeah, yeah, kind of, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and, and that's kind of how I stumbled upon um, the, one of the conversations and, and I'm like, yeah, you know, we are, we, we're, we're, we're not very well funded, but we're well, we're, we're well organized when it comes to our message, I think. And, this is what blows my mind. You know, at Walgreens, I can see an excuse for being understaffed there. They're not a PBM. Uh, you know, they, they're functionally, you know, hands are tied just like the rest of us. But what's the deal with CVS? Why does CVS have that same issue? And the only thing I can come up with is something that comes back to the reason why Walgreens and the rest of us are struggling with staffing, and that's greed. Yep, I I totally agree. Why would CVS not staff their own staff when they're the ones taking all the money? Yep, that 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 doesn't make any sense. And I remember <clears throat> about a month after I started working for CVS, I worked for them for about four months. But literally one day, it was me and one tech from eight a.m. to eight p.m. And in order for him to even fill, I had to do out window, I had to do drive through, I had to give all the shots, and. He took like six 15 minute mental breaks because he, he was just like so overworked. And then the next day I asked the pharmacy man, I said, why, why is it so bad here? Like CVS is the PBM. Why do they understand? This is almost worse than, than, than Walgreens. And at least with Walgreens, I understand, I could understand it here. There is no reason for this place to be this busy. And, and that's kind of what changed my focus to, kind of just always I used to always just attack all the chains for understaffing and actually seeing it and working at CVS and seeing how it was probably the worst out of all the places I work it really got me to change my my focus to PBM reform yeah so I guess there is a component to the CVS deal which is that you know even though they may have completely led the industry and you know tanking reimbursements because of the anti-competitive side of things you know if you underpay all of your competitors um or if you write contracts that force them to use your pharmacy you can you pretty much can do what you want to but yeah there are a couple other pbms not many so uh, you know once you start an industry standard you know the rest of them follow suit so Next thing you know, you know, CVS pharmacies are probably being crappy reimbursed by Optum and Express Scripts too. So I'm sure there's a component to that too. Yeah, I, I think also is they'll use those metrics and they'll use their pay and they will say, well, you know, according to this, you know, this should be the average cost of dispense when really it's much higher because if they're able to, you know, cut it down as much as they can, especially with the more prescriptions you do, the less the cost of dispense is. Uh, so if they're doing a huge number and they're still understaffing their pharmacy, they can still use that as an excuse to underpay all of us. So I think that also goes into uh, kind of their calculations and yet another level of anti-competitive behavior that is used to manipulate the market as a whole. You know, it, this, it's a direct effect. I used to call it kind of indirect because you guys are right. Like when you work retail, you never saw the the payment side. I mean, I, I worked for Rite Aid for 16 years and, and the first one or two years that I worked for them, I could see the purchase side 
Well, they took that away, and you could no longer see the purchase side. All we saw was uh, claim went through paid or not. We had no idea. So a majority of, of retail pharmacists have no idea that the reason for their crappy working conditions is this middleman that takes, you know, 50-plus percent out of the list price of a drug for themselves. And that, you know, it, it really, I know that pharmacy schools have something to do with the market saturation because the growth isn't there anymore. But why is that? Why are we struggling to find places to work? Why is the number of places that we have as options to apply for work why is that crunching down while prescription volumes are going up significantly still? And it's only there's only one answer, and that's because the PBMs have literally are destroying, if not already destroyed, you know, this side of our profession. One one time I had a customer, he had about eight prescriptions, and he goes, With all my prescriptions, I'm keeping you in business. And I was like, Well, we probably lost money on all those scripts. You're actually probably putting us out of business. <laughs> And it's like it's a true. name. I just assume I'm going to lose money on it. I ran my numbers today uh, out of the last $50,000 worth of brand name medications that I ran. I made $1,000. And that is before you take into account labor, pills, and everything. I used the average cost of dispense at like 12 bucks. And after putting that in there, I ended up losing. It was $350 after cost of dispense was actually factored in. So we're losing money on these brand name medications that are tying up almost all of our cash flow. And this would not work, and it doesn't work in any other industry. It wouldn't be allowed in any other industry. It's it's disgusting. Yeah, I, I think what also helped open my eyes is my channel and page grew. I had other people um, add me on Facebook that were independent um, pharmacy owners and, you know, they, they'll constantly post screenshots of, you know, this is the reimbursement. This is what I got paid. This is negative. This, you know, so that really opened up my eyes to actually be able to see the screenshots of, 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 you know, how much money they're actually losing is uh, uh, independent pharmacy. And I think I even remember like one of the podcasts, they were talking about how independent pharmacies, now they sell so much stuff up front just to try to, try to bring in additional streams of revenue. It's like all the knickknacks and all the other stuff you see up front is just kind of eye opening. And I think a lot of people, especially on my page, they complain so much about the understaffing, but I don't even think, I would think a good portion of them don't even realize how terrible the, the understaffing, they kind of know of it, but they don't think they really don't correlate PBMs with understaffing. They just see like, Oh, the CEO got this amount of million bucks. So they've got money. So they're being cheap, which is probably part of it. But it's also, you know, like we said for Walgreens, that, that, that terrible reimbursement. And I don't think a lot of people um, realize that. And pharmacy is a small voice as it is. And so many people are scared to even talk. Cause I'll post something. They're like, Oh, I love your post. I'm, I would like it, but I don't want to get fired. I'm like, we have people or professionals who are scared to just even like a post because they think they're going to get fired. And I was like, we all need to be unified because our voice is even smaller because people don't even want to speak up. So we need to be more cognizant of what the main issue that we need to attack first. And to me, that would be like PBM, then provider status, then understaffing. And then, you know, we could trickle on down to schools, but it's kind of so hard to unify everybody. But 
that's kind of what I'm really trying to work on is just to bring to light more about the PBM. So maybe we could be a little bit more unified and that way our voice would be a little bit stronger. I have a question about that. Uh, You are not just a pharmacist. You're also a comedian. You're that's a, you know, a wonderful talent that so many of us, you know, rely on in times of stress. Cause you know, as they say, laughter is the best medicine. I'm curious about, how you got started in that and with the kind of comedy you do, you know, what, what you see happening with your audiences. Like, do you, do you think that they get a better picture? Do you, does your comedy help educate them? I, I'd just love to know from your view a little bit more about that. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's kind of funny because when you're at a comedy club, m- most of the people don't have any ideal about pharmacy. And so when I'm on stage, I have to write my jokes to uh, in a way that they'll be able to get it. Cause I was in a room full of pharmacists. I could just talk about anything and they would get it, but it's, it's really difficult when you have people who don't understand it. So um, I always spend so much time writing and trying to simplify things so that people will get it. And then usually what I focus on is how people try to always rush us and it's supposed to be done in 15 minutes. And, you know, um, I do a joke where a lady's like, why does it take you 15 minutes to take uh, pills from a big bottle and stick it in a little bottle. And then at the end, when she has questions, I'm like, I don't even know what that medicine is. I just took some pills from that big bottle and stuck it in that little bottle. So people always clap and laugh. And then afterwards they come up to me is like, Oh my gosh, I always rush my pharmacist. I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, I didn't realize like how much stuff you guys have to do. So I think the general public, they, that's an excellent point. Well, the, well, the one thing that I, I've noticed is that it's like the laugh factory holds like 400 something people and Zanies will hold like 300 people. And what happens is a lot of people will start to follow my YouTube channel. And when I post these videos that are like serious pharmacy issues that I assume that most of the people who are following me are pharmacists, but I'm finding that's not the case because people will comment and say, because I've watched your channel, I'm so much nicer to my pharmacist. I didn't realize this was going on. I'm going to start speaking up more. And so like, since people go to follow me on my YouTube channel, they see all the videos and everything that's going on in the profession. And I feel like that's kind of where the biggest impact because I look at a lot of the comments and I was surprised how many of the comments on my YouTube videos are from people who aren't in pharmacy. That's amazing. That is, that is really interesting. Thank you for that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and I'm glad that you say that because, you know, I'm, so I am not a pharmacist. People who listen to the podcast have often heard me say that I'm, I'm not a pharmacist, but I am a patient and the issues affect patients as much as they affect pharmacists. But when we look at, you know, what it takes to educate somebody, you started off this, you started off this show by talking about how you were trying to educate yourself. And now here you are and you take your, your comedy and you help educate other people. I'm, I'm curious when you meet up with other pharmacists, what their reactions are to your jokes and to the, some of the things that you do, you know, like, do they, do they find you know, relief in what you're saying? Do they suggest jokes to you? I'm kind of curious about what they think. Pharmacists, they just, they will rush out of the comedy club to just find me and just say, oh my gosh, every aspect of that I could relate to. 
Um, I loved it so much. And, you know, it was hilarious. I was laughing or especially people who have family members that are pharmacists. They say, oh, my dad's a pharmacist or my husband's a pharmacist. He would have loved you. I wish he would have could have come. Um, we'll have him follow you. And those people, they just truly they just truly love it, um, especially, like I said, because they can relate to every aspect. I think some people. Some people after should they go, are you really a pharmacist? They don't really believe me. And then some people ask me, is it really that bad? Because they, 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 they don't think that it could be that bad. So like they don't know if I'm up there just joking or if I'm serious. And that's kind of what I, you know, tell them like, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. And then so it's an educational moment. And then the kind of the sad thing is like you could go through probably all my videos and there's probably at least I could probably think of at least maybe two to 300 comments of so many people saying like, I'm so stressed and depressed working retail. Your videos literally got me through retail. I come home and cry and watch your videos and, and, and cheer up. And that's kind of the main reason why I kept making them because people don't realize it. Like make another video, but I was like, you have to write it out. I have to do the editing, the lighting, the, you know, it takes a lot of time to even do like a five minute video when you're changing the background. And one person commented like, who let this dimwit in their pharmacy? I'm like, it's not even a real pharmacy. It's, it's a green screen. Yeah. <laughs> so many people, it says that. Or, change, or changing a wig. <laughs> yeah, that even takes time. Even, even where well, all the, my mom came over and she's like, why do you have so many wigs in your house? <laughs> And I was like, they're from my skits. But it's like so many people, and even even my emails is even more than the comments. It's just people just messaging me just to say thank you. Like, took time of their day to say thank you, to say that my videos help them get through retail when they have stressful days and, and, and keep making them. So that's a lot of times why I keep making them because it helps, it helps people out a lot. And people also tell me they think that they're alone. Like they're like, oh gosh, I'm so depressed or I'm going through anxiety or I had to go to the ER because, you know, retail is so bad. And then when I post a video, they go, oh my gosh, I'm not the only person who feels this way. And so I think that really helps to let other people know that they're not alone. Yeah. Awareness of what's going on is really important and getting that out there. I mean, not even with PBMs. I mean, the workplace conditions, everything else, everything that you were doing. And do you think that's why that upset them so much is they to, to meet what their shareholders want. They've got to show growth every year. And if you can't control reimbursements, then you got to cut staff and you have to make working conditions awful in a lot of ways. That's the only thing that they can control. So that kind of ties back to PBMs. Well, definitely ties back to PBMs. But with those work conditions and you raising awareness of it, is that the main point? Like, was that where all the blowback came? Was mostly working conditions? Um, yeah, it it was mainly working conditions, at least for me in the beginning, because like I said, I didn't really know a whole lot about PBMs, or I, I knew about PBMs, but I didn't think about it because I never saw the the pricing, and so like just understaffing, understaffing. That's what I was just. I, I beat that drum to like 110%. And it wasn't until recently as I started to kind of educate myself more that I recently started talking about PBMs. But yeah, before I was just all about the understaffing. And um, I actually towards the end, I did go to one uh, meeting and, you know, they were just talking about how poor reimbursements and stuff like that. So I kind of got an understanding, but 
like I said, it wasn't until the last couple of months that I really started to focus. And that's a lot of people just reaching out to me, me becoming more friends with independent uh, pharmacy owners. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, directed me to, to put, they'll text me like, Hey, uh, follow this group or post this or post that. And that's where I really started to follow you guys is my independent pharmacy owner friends, just really um, sharing your stuff. So then I share it too. Let's, uh, let's, let's visit a, a interesting topic that um, probably doesn't, I don't, I don't, I, I listen to pretty much everything too. And I don't know that I've ever heard anybody who, who you've been on with talk about the, uh, the origins of how, you know, rare it is that there is a funny pharmacist that actually has a, a, a side career doing so. Were you all, were you, were you a funny child? I mean, did you always like the, you know, the silliness involved and, in, and in making people laugh and, you know, were, were you hell on your parents and how in the world, you know, there obviously most people who have a little bit of talent in comedy don't wake up and say, you know what, I really like comedy, but I'm going to go to pharmacy school for eight years. Yeah. Well, Comedy, I was always like a class clown and I actually got a lot of spankings because I would have like A's and B's, but I would not make honor roll because I would get a check mark for my behavior. <laughs> and so I understand you. <laughs> yes. Same. My dad was like, You didn't make honor roll because you wanna be funny, huh? <laughs> so uh you know, I've always been told that I was was funny. I remember my first year of pharmacy school the dean, she wore bright uh, red lipstick and she had this long hair and, and she always kind of reminded me of like Medea. So like we had this one uh, oh, no. assembly and I was like, you know, what? I should imitate her. So I wore bright red lipstick and I wore a wig and I wore a dress and I said, either they're going to love this or I'm about to get kicked out of pharmacy school. So. <laughs> I went on stage and I talked just like her and do her mannerism and she's very well spoken, but she takes the long route to, to get to the point. And I d went off on this tangent and I was like, only to say uh, school's closed tomorrow. And everybody started laughing and she came up there with no expression. I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> she's not even laughing. And then she was like, that's the best impression anyone's ever done of me. You should be a comedian. So <laughs> I was like, you know what, let me just try this. So they had an open mic night and I just went to this comedy club and it's actually really supportive. I think uh, anybody who feels like they want to do comedy and they don't pursue it, just the open mics because the other comics are supportive. Like even if you're not funny, they clap and kind of laugh and say good job and encourage each other. So I really like that. And That's I was cool. uh, telling jokes and then actually somebody booked me for a show and this other guy, he was actually a writer for the Tribune, Mel Novitz. And I was actually studying for an exam and he's like what are you going over your jokes and I was like no I got an exam tomorrow so these are my note cards and I'm trying to memorize um these mechanisms of action and he's like well I've seen you perform before but you don't talk about it he's like well why don't you just talk about pharmacy that's m way more interesting than you talk about being drunk or doing whatever so <laughs> at first I didn't think anybody wanted to hear anything about pharmacy but I just kept trying at it and trying at it and it took a while people don't realize like even to work on a joke, you have to go to an open mic and like sign up is at like five thirty, and it doesn't start till eight, but there's so many comics in the city. If you don't get there early, you're like last on the list and you're like at an open mic to one in the morning. So I would like literally ditch pharmacy school, 
drive, sit in traffic for an hour and a half, sign up for an open mic at one bar, and then drive to another bar and sign up and literally go from bar to bar every night just to try to work on a joke. Because you only get two minutes. So if a joke doesn't hit, sometimes it's not that the premise isn't funny. It's like you didn't word it right. So then you're just like switching it around and trying and trying again. So it it, it took a while, but I noticed that like a lot of clubs start booking me because my material was different. They're like we get a lot of people who talk about being drunk or sex or drugs, but we don't have a lot of people talk about pharmacy. So I kind of stuck with it and kind of glad I glad I did. And and um, I actually ended up. It's funny. I ended up leaving Chicago and moving to Springfield and there wasn't a lot of comedy clubs. I was like, man, how could I do comedy? So I actually started a YouTube channel. And once I started doing that, that actually kind of blew me up. And all the clubs that I tried to get in in Chicago were like, hey, we want you to perform. So when I was in Chicago, they didn't let me perform. But when I moved two and a half hours away, then they want me every other weekend. So now I'm driving. And that's some shit. Yeah, now I'm driving three hours every other weekend to perform. But when I was in the city, I, I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine how hard it is to write jokes about pharmacy. It's already a big black box of nobody understands it other than us. And then you're you're going to try to make people laugh about something that we all might find amusing. I just can't even imagine how hard it is to write write a joke. That, that not only needs to take out all of the complication and the explanation in two minutes and then make still be funny, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's, I think, Scott, what he's trying to say is, did you find a way to channel all of our frustration and pain? Is that how you're able to do it so well? <laughs> yeah, it actually, like, I, I tell people, like, you know, once I started to focus on comedy a lot more it, it made retail not so bad because i had something else to look forward to it's like okay i just got to get through this hell week and on friday and saturday i'm doing uh two shows back to back and it's going to be fun so it really helped me out a lot just um i think a lot of pharmacists they just get so it's just pharmacy 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 and nothing else and that's why they get worn out because they have no other outlets besides retail pharmacy what does your dad think going from, Oh, you think you're funny to now you're booking shows and, and performing on weekends. What does he think? Yeah, dad, I am funny. <laughs> <laughs> my, my dad, he ended up having a kidney transplant, couldn't work, but now he works from home and does like uh, Amazon business and eBay. But he, he, you know, with him um, having a kidney transplant, he, he would always go, to the pharmacy a lot to get his medicines. And every year he's got it first at CVS. Then he's going to go to Walgreens. He's going to go someplace else. And he's like, every pharmacist I know knows who you are. And he's like, this other pharmacist said, uh, call them. And he's like, I talked to this pharmacist and they know you. So he's always like, you got to do more. You got to do more. You know, he really wants me to, to like really, you know, put, I am putting a lot of effort, but like, you know, with two kids and work and other stuff, it's just like, you know, I can only, put in so much time and he's like you got to do this and that so he's very supportive and wants me to do more and he's always like you're right there to to doing something really big so it's kind of awesome just to have that support and he's always trying to help me and and he gives me these jokes and then I google the punchline of course it po pops up and I'm like you can't be having me on stage doing jokes you found off of yahoo <laughs> 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 oh, that's great, though. That's it's funny how how parents 
you know, like when you're a kid, they, they just want the best for you. You know, they just like really want you to grow up and, and have a meaningful trade. And as you've been, you know, talking with us today, I've been thinking about how you really, you really are that you're, you're the, you've had, you know, had it in both worlds, right? You had this wonderful success as a comedian and, and you've got your quote unquote day job, which as it turns out also provides material. So it's pretty cool. So it does sound like it's a lot of work. Yeah. I used to always think that pharmacy was making me a better comedian, but I think comedy made me a better pharmacist because there's so many times where my staff is just so stressed out. And I remember one time my technician, she wasn't mad at me. She was just mad that, you know, the story that I did, we did like almost 800 scripts. Our flu shot goal was 1800. We only had enough hours for three texts, but the out window alone had three registers, which never ended. The drive-through never ended and one tech fill in and there's nobody to answer phones and nobody to work on insurance issues. So when patients show up, it, there's an insurance issue to fix. So when I come in, she's just like letting me have it, you know, just about the understaffing. And I was like, well, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> and then everybody started laughing. And she's like, look, I don't mean to be mad at you, but I was like, I get it. We, we don't have the hours, but maybe if I find people who are willing to work that don't work, want to work eight hours, I can get two people to work four hours and, it's a balance things out. Or if a customer was upset, I would just joke with them and then they'll stop being so upset. So it really, my customer service scores were always through the roof and people always loved me just because I was joking. So it really just made me like a better manager and a better um, pharmacist because I was able to take a situation or an environment that was so stressful and make it less stressful. Isn't it amazing in our work environments there that the one person who has the negative attitude and there's nothing that they do other than be negative ruins the entire day, but yet you can come in with uh, a little bit of humor and try not to take it so seriously under the stress and that can completely make a difference in the whole day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, and you know, it was always in an awkward position because technicians reached out to me like, hey, I want to transfer to your store, but you never want to leave another store short. And they're like, my pharmacy manager, she's he or she is just going crazy and they're yelling and everybody's so stressed. I hear it's not stressful at your store. And I was like, I'm stressed. I just don't. <laughs> I make sure everybody else doesn't feel stressed. You, just, you bear that burden on your shoulders and... and uh, have a little bit, uh, I guess we'll call it emotional intelligence to, to suppress it and, 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 you know, go home and drink. Yeah. I'm a big, it is what it is. That's like my number one phrase. It is what it is. I just kind of move on with things. I, I've got a question that I was wondering, like me, if I were to ever try anything like comedy, it would not end up well. I'd go up and I'd make some terrible joke about like, it puts the ta-da into Dollafield. And then I get crickets and a heckler would happen. And I'd be like, yeah, well, I'll kill your mother. And then that would just go off the rails. And they'd be like, oh, dude threatened to kill somebody's mother. <laughs> my question is, of course, I would never do that actually in my pharmacy if I had a problem patient. My question is, do you treat hecklers and problem patients the same? Different? Why? How? Um. Hecklers are, it's kind of funny what hecklers, it kind of just depends on what they're, what, what, what they're saying. Um, sometimes, you know, when you do pharmacy jokes, somebody may yell out, um, I love Xanax. And I'll be like, I bet you do. You look like it. And then people will start laughing or um, 
you know, they'll just, sometimes people are just so drunk. They're not even like talking to you. They're just talking to whoever's at the table. So it's just, you always have to kind of just, um, be on your feet with that. And it, it just, it, it really like the key is not to get rattled because sometimes there's hecklers and I've seen other comics. It just throws them off. And that's the kind of same at work. Like you get that one, sometimes you'll have like pharmacists or technicians, they get that one customer that screams at them and then they're done for the day. They're just like, you could tell it like affected their whole mood. You can see that sometimes they're, sh- they're shaking with, with me when people yell at me, it doesn't really bother me. And I know, especially like towards the end when I was working at Walgreens, like I was in a rich area. So you know, those people scream and yell and everybody at my store was like, oh my God, I'm so scared of Karen or so-and-so. But I was like, you know, when I was in Chicago, I used to work on the West side and those people, you know, they got gold grills, braids, and they, they, you know, they're, they're saying that they're going to kill you. And I was like, well, that kind of prepared me for working in the rich area because <laughs> I know that these <laughs> people can't kill me. Like those people actually could probably kill me if they wanted to. So like, you know, listening to Karen complain about X, Y, and Z, I was like, ah, oh, this is nothing. I've had way worse. So it's just, uh, you know, it's just about not being rattled. Cause I think once they see that you're rattled nervous, it, it, it allows them to yell at you more. But if you're just talking to them and it's not facing you, they it forces them to kind of calm down, just like a, a dog that's running at you and is rah, 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 and then you don't move. Then that dog goes from aggressive to less aggressive because it, it sees that you're not scared. So that's kind of how I relate both of those situations. Oh, I understand. I'm from the uh, deep hills of Southwest Virginia. So I've, I've watched like someone jacked up on meth, jump on someone's car and bust the windshield with their fist. I'm thinking I've got to actually like draw my gun and do something about it. And then it all calms down. And then I moved to a much better area where, you know, people are a little more affluent, you know, everyone's educated. And it's funny whenever someone comes in, they think that if they get a little rough with me, I'm going to cave. <laughs> it's just like, you have no clue what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I have a customer come in and we did four or 500 a day in this, this store. And, he, you know, they, this one in particular just reminded me of the entire situation. And that's, you know, how long is that going to take? And, you know, I could do it about 15 minutes. Well, you know, 15 minutes is, uh, well, why does it take so long? I, I've got places to go. And I'm like, man, you don't have any place to go. You don't even have a job. And, and so, so I get it ready in five minutes. He comes and picks it up. He stared at me the entire time. And then, 30 minutes later, I see him still out in the waiting area talking to all the people that have come up because they knew everybody anyway. So on the way out of the store, he took an hour having small talk with everybody that he knew on the way out the door. Yeah, it's kind of funny you say that about the phone. I I remember one time I had a customer who um, he was complaining about um, that I wouldn't fill a prescription. I was like, it's controlled. Like promethazine with codeine was, was huge where I was at. So I was like, well, I have to call the doctor. And he was complaining. like, man, I'm going to, I'm, I call, I'll call corporate on you, but I don't have a phone and yada, yada, yada. I'm like, okay, sir. And then a few minutes later, he's like, man, can you at least let me uh, make a phone call? So I'm thinking he needs to call for a ride. I'm like, sure. He's like, all right, now what's the number to corporate? I was like, you're not about to use my phone to call corporate. (laughs) 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 Get your own phone. I took the phone back, but it was just funny how he tried to use 
the, my own personal phone to call corporate. <laughs> Good Lord. So do people become better patients after they've heard your comedy show and they hear some of these stories that you tell? Oh, it's, um, <clears throat> I don't, because I'm at work, a lot of people don't even know that I'm a comedian. There'll be like some customers who will find out that I do comedy because another pharmacist will come in and say, Hey, I heard that you worked over here or somebody saw me and say, Hey, you were funny last night. But most of them, most of them have, have no clue. They just think I'm a pharmacist that, that that's funny and that they like to come to, but most of them have no clue that I do comedy. Well, then maybe we should find a way to, to help you elevate your profile because it just, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about every time in the past I was ever a bad customer really anywhere and uh, had just like at this moment for anyone who, for anyone who might be listening, if I was ever a bad customer to you, I now feel compelled to say, I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> I remember um, as a patient being in, in CVS and watching these, you know, very, um, very, very busy pharmacy staffs. And then they'd have to, in addition to counseling medication, and filling prescriptions, they'd have to stop and do checkout. You know, people would bring all the stuff they'd picked up in the in the front end of the stores. So they're you know checking out their makeup and their toilet paper and everything else. And I just always feel like what a what a terrible thing to make someone who's got this phenomenal education, whose job is actually to protect us from ourselves when it comes to taking care of our health. And now we've reduced them to the level of being a retail clerk at the same time. Isn't it ironic that the front end always has somebody to like help out? Like how do they have so many daggone hours? And and why does McDonald's and Chick-fil-A have so many more people filling fries and burgers than, than we do filling, you know, blood pressure medicines and stuff that can actually kill you? I don't think McDonald's has DIR fees, so they know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's prob- probably true. <laughs> You know, they talk about how food margins are, are, you know, not that great. And drug margins, well, they're not that great either. But how in the world do they have so many freaking people? Could you imagine, though, if McDonald's did have DIR fees? That that, that would have been a non-starter. They're, they would have been wiped out, you know. Well, they'd never get like your order right. It's illegal in any other industry. And it should be illegal here. They're exploiting a loophole to charge us money. Like, this is ridiculous. Just taking advantage of I don't understand how they can't still can't get your food right. They got all the people back there. Well, they should. It's automated, but I don't know. Maybe maybe it's McDonald's you're going to, Scott. Probably. <laughs> I went to McDonald's the other day to get my daughter. I was like, "Can I get a hamburger?" And the lady's like, "With the without cheese." I said, "Well, I would have ordered a cheeseburger then if I <laughs> if I wanted the cheese." <laughs> Oh, Maurice, I was going to ask you, what do you see as a good way for us as a profession as a whole to kind of get the message out about everything going on? Uh, we can do comedy and we can do, you know, a, our own professional groups and we can try to educate lawmakers and the public. What do you see as kind of the best way going forward to try to continue doing this? Because I I feel like with things like you're doing, like comedy and just entertainment in general, if you're able to connect with people on that level, a lot of times 
it makes it a lot easier for them to, I guess, relate to us rather than, oh, I'm going into the pharmacy and there's the guy in the white coat behind the counter. And I try to be as approachable as possible, but it, it feels to me like entertainment and uh, getting our message through that way would reach a lot more people. And I was just curious your ideas about all that. Yeah, that that's kind of been my focus, which whatever ways that we can reach people who aren't in the pharmacy. So to me, that's either, you know, like, for example, a couple of news reporters that like will, will message me. There was actually one guy, he was, uh, he used to be a pharmacist, but he's a news reporter in Boston and he's always asking questions. And it's just like, just trying to get out as much information to the general public, because I don't even think that they are aware. And it's just like, you know, the one thing that kind of gets frustrated, even the NBC nightly news piece, um, Adele, she had messaged me like, Hey, the piece came out. Thanks for all your help. And directed me to different people. But it's like, even when I watched it, it was like the end. And it was like, so quick. I went to the bathroom and came back. I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's already over. So it's like, just got to find a way to really just let the public know. I know there were so many stories that people have reached out to me and we're going to do, but there's so much with either black lives matter or Trump or this or that. And then pharmacy just gets pushed to the back burner. Like part of me is just like, Oh my God, there's probably be at least eight different stories about what's going on in pharmacy. But they always say that their story gets pushed back because it's not priority at the moment. So it's kind of like, I feel like we're kind of like victim of the times at the moment until things get better. I agree with that. Phar- pharmacy is you know, unless there's something happens where people can't get their medicine, I don't think they really too much care at this moment that we're understaffed if they're still since they're still getting their medicines anyway. So it's like I I really just feel like to try to keep doing what we're doing and try to um, use comedy and social media is just kind of like what's going on in the world just just basically overshadows our issues. So hopefully here in the future you know, all the stories that these reporters said they want to do, that they're going to get back to it. Hopefully that they're able to get back to it once we can move forward. And that's kind of the unfortunate. I think, I think the freight train is moving very quickly towards the whole, you know, staffing slash, you know, work condition slash someone is going to pay the ultimate price that we're all worried about. I think that there's going to be, you know, even maybe more than one or two times that it happens that, uh, somebody is you know gets out that somebody has been harmed or or even dies god forbid from uh, uh a situation and and you know, you know traditionally boards of pharmacy go in when a, when a medication error happens like that and you know you being the licensed individual you, they hold you responsible but we are seeing obviously where boards of pharmacies are well aware of the working conditions and are starting to place at least some of that blame on the corporations, which is where it really should be placed. True. But I mean, is anyone really going to care that much in the end? Like, I think one reason that they're slowly strangling us out is they want to condition everyone for a little while to get really shitty service because this would, this behavior never would have been tolerated a few years ago. It's ridiculous. Like I grew up in a pharmacy. I watched the good times Everyone, there, there wasn't understaffing. 
Everyone was staffed really well. Pharmacists were paid well. And you know what? People would pay out of pocket for brand name drugs. Everything's getting more expensive. No one's making money, but the middlemen and everyone's suffering for it. So I think they're just conditioning everyone to, you know, wait two days for any medication and you're just going to continue to get shitty care and people are going to die. All in the name of, you know, increasing it 10% every year for shareholders. So it's a race to the bottom right now. And uh, they could strangle us out right now because... We could get some people to pay attention, but are they going to care all that much? So it's it's really frustrating right now. Well, one of the things, one of the places we've been most successful with, with finding bill sponsors in the states is personal experiences. So you know it's going to happen enough to where it starts to happen to people's you know personal families that are in charge of making these decisions. And I think that unfortunately that's the case, but fortunately for us that's the case. You know. Yeah, I, I put a complaint to my board of pharmacy and I was actually confused because they like got back to me like I felt like almost a year later about a complaint I had put in oh wow <laughs> about understand it's like hey I want to follow up with this email and I was like I felt like I sent that a long time ago he's like you did but um that what, what I was told um was that a lot of the complaints from the consumers that the board get are the, I guess the way they word it, it, it comes off more as a customer service issue and they can't um, discipline a pharmacy for customer service issues. So if a customer says, I waited in line for four hours, that's just poor customer service. But if they would have put the complaint and said, I waited for four hours on Monday and Tuesday and I couldn't get my blood pressure medicine, I ended up in the hospital, then that's a patient safety issue and that we need to be directing customers to you know to reach out to the board but they have to put it in a way where it doesn't just come off like a customer service issue you know that was that affected their health even though when they put that's it important the line, they just waited four hours and they can't discipline pharmacies based off that uh this has been a really great conversation that has explored so many different angles of what's happening behind the pharmacy counter that patients don't necessarily know about and that you are helping to, I would say, educate people. I think we would all agree. You're, you're educating people through your comedy, but also through the work that you do every day as a pharmacist working with your staff. And that's amazing. Thank you so much for, for everything that you do. And thank you for being on our, our podcast. One of the things that I like to do when ending a podcast is to ask our guest, you know, what they either see for the future, you know, as far as the, the profession goes or, you know, advice that you may have. I would actually like to ask you both questions. So just starting with, uh, for pharmacists who are, you know, in the profession now dealing with the stresses and the things that we've been talking about, I'm curious, you know, what, what advice you have for them for helping to keep their stress in check and maybe, maybe make the experience a little bit better for them. And then I'd also love to get your perspective on what you see the future will be, you know, for, for pharmacists and for the industry or even for yourself. I think the problem with pharmacists is that with student loans, all of our source of income is, is, is just related around pharmacy. And since that's all of our income, nobody wants to speak up, but you know, I, I, I had opened up a, a, a barber college because 
I wanted to be able to speak up more. And if something happened to my job, I wanted to know that I had other source of income. It didn't have to, to be the same amount, but at least I had some source. And I think if, if, if more pharmacists or pharmacy students come out with that mindset, like their pharmacists, you know, maybe working 32 hours a week or just 30, I think one would help your mental health, but two, allow you to focus on some other business or passion, whether it's real estate, t-shirt design or whatever. And I think that more people going forward would be more willing to speak up and, and, and fight back if, if pharmacy wasn't their only main source of, uh, of income and the way the profession is going, you don't also want it to be your only source. So that's kind of the advice I, I give. And then for the future of pharmacy, I think the next two, three years is, is, is very important. If we can't get change now, I don't know when we will be able to get change after, you know, seeing COVID and everybody kind of seeing the importance pharmacists play, you know, some places when you tried to get your free cup of coffee, we weren't even considered, you know, heroes and we're the ones giving all the right? shots. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so it, it, it's like at, at my job where I work, I can kind of see, I get to see a lot of the bills that, that come through and the changes that are people trying to make, especially with PBM reform on a, on a state level and trying to get more professional dispensing fees and hopefully getting provider status. So if we can get more PBM reform at a state level and, and work towards provider status and getting paid for some of our service, I think pharmacy has a bright future. I've had so many pharmacists reach out to me that are starting so many different companies. I think this has really caused a lot of pharmacists to become entrepreneurs, finding different ways to, to better the profession and so our value without having to work for a big box chain. And so that's what I'm noticing a lot of uh, pharmacy entrepreneurs. So if we can get change in the next, you know, two, three years, then I think I see the profession turning around, but if it's just still the same old, same old, even with COVID and all everything that's going on with the, with the legislation, um, if we can't get changed with all of this, then I don't see it really ever changing. Well said, thank you so much. Scott, Jeremy, any last questions for our guests before we close today? No, I just uh, want to thank you for uh, being here and thank you for the advocacy work that you're doing. It, it's so important. Uh, obviously, we often feel like we're, you know, trying to save the profession, uh, you know, on an island. And so to have somebody join with the platform that you have in the advocacy fight, it, it's a real additive to, to, the, to the fight and, uh, thank you again for picking us for the for the donations. We always use those and um, tell tell everybody where they can order a t shirt. I would I would say yes, definitely. Um, the shirt is on um, Teespring's website, but probably the easiest way go to RX Comedy fan page. I constantly post it. It's the PBM t shirt, pharmacy's biggest mistake. Just find the link there. Um, I, I also post a link in my videos with the shirt as well. And the proceeds will go to help support PUT. So since PUT's all about transparency, once I get everything, I'm just going to show what was what was made and posted and send it to you. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Yeah, Maurice, it's, it's been awesome talking with you, man. I love everything that you're doing. You ever need anything? I mean, I, I'm here for you, man. It's, it's been awesome. Yeah, good for any of us. All of your stuff.
Yes. Oh. Thank you so much. It's been such a joy. We are definitely going to have you back and just thank you. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. You bet. And for everybody who's listening, thank you for joining us today. If you like this episode, please let us know in the comments section. We love getting your feedback. For now, that ends this podcast and we look forward to seeing you all the next time.